0: Welcome to episode 28 of Storm the Norm, the fortnightly podcast where we pick up norms that come in the way of businesses succeeding in a disruptive world. I am Narayan.
1: And I'm Anisha Motwani.
0: Storm the Norm is brought to you in association with Grant, Thornton Bharat. On to today's episode now. Anisha, a few weeks ago, after our last episode with the crypto expert Jonathan Kares, I had bought a bubble blower. Uh, mm-hmm. You remember those things, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I met primarily to play with uh, the new puppy at my home. And he was super excited to chase them down. He would run after the bubbles and bite into them, only to end up puzzled about where they mysteriously <laughs> disappeared each time he got one.
1: <laughs> that sounds like super fun, Navan.
0: It was. And, and, and it made me realize that it had been a long time since I had encountered bubbles outside of all of the talk on the web 3 bubble that seems to have enveloped the whole world of business and tech.
1: That's so true about me too, Narayan. We only hear about biosecure bubbles, crypto bubbles, every wave of a VC-funded bubble around fintech, ad tech, health tech, and just go on and on.
0: Exactly, Anisha. It made me go back to an idyllic time with our childhood where we could be silly without judgment trying to blow bigger bubbles than our friends, you know, either with soap water or more commonly with chewing gum. And it left me wondering, is there a place for chewing gum bubbles in the web 3 bubble world?
1: Oh, so that is pun intended, huh? It is. <laughs> so great question, Narayan. Even if we fast forwarded from our childhood to a few years ago, Chewing gum in allied confectionery categories was such an integral part of everyday conversations, especially in the world of branding and marketing. Some of the most memorable advertising has come from this category, giving us cultural catchphrases such as Dimaag ki Batti jalade, Dobaara Mat puchna," "Zuban Pe Rakh Lagaam and so many others.
0: Indeed, Anisha, and I know that we are talking about the confectionery and chewing gum category as kind of a shorthand for other low-cost, low-value, impulse-driven categories, not necessarily only these. And so in that context, you know, it makes me a little sad to say this, but do you see how we were talking about these categories in the past tense?
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and that's what brings me to today's norm. In a world that's all about the Web3 bubble, there's no room for chewing gum bubbles.
1: Or. Oh. Similar equivalent low ticket low value impulse categories
2: yeah,
1: yeah so that's a big and provocative statement to make about a category and about large FMCG companies that has built not just a big customer base by itself, but I dare say is also responsible for creating the kind of unparalleled mom and pop retail footprint in India that every that very few other categories can.
0: It is, Anisha, and I don't say it lightly. The world of brands today seems to be about one or more of the following three things. Purpose, planned purchase journeys, and pivots enabled by disruptive tech. So where's the place for a frivolous, impulse-driven, unchanging product category in this world?
1: When you put it like that, it does seem difficult for chewing gums and other impulse categories such as candy and confectionery to find relevance in today's world.
0: Uh, happily for me though, I can pause after posing this existential question for chewing gums and other uh, similar low-cost, low-value, pulse-driven categories, because our guest expert today is best placed to storm this norm. Rajesh Ramakrishnan is the Managing Director of Perfetti VanMail India, makers of iconic confectionery brands such as Centafresh, Mentos, Happy Dent, Alpen and Chupa Chup, among others. And today's norm is not just an existential question, but a practical one that he's been tackling at the helm of Perfetti even before the pandemic, but also through it. Rajesh, welcome to Storm the Norm.
1: Thank you, Rajesh, for joining us on this Saturday to storm this particular norm. And it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. And I'm going to jump straight into the norm, Rajesh.
3: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Anisha, for having me on this uh, session and uh, look forward to an engaging session.
1: Yes. Let me just read out the norm that I would like to storm with you. Okay. It goes something like this. In a world that's all about the Web3 bubble, there's no place for chewing gum bubble. Pun intended. What I mean by this is that in a tech enabled world, enamored by the insanity of metaverse cryptos nfts etc etc how are simple almost cute impulse businesses like yours staying relevant
3: yeah and i think that's a that's a great uh, you know norm uh, to storm and i i like i like the pun as well so very 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 interesting and you, you know you're absolutely right if you look at it um, our category confectionery category is part of a larger impulse category Mm -hmm. And uh, it is all about simple joys, right? Uh, So, you know, you want to make your kid happy or make yourself happy, you end up uh, popping a chewing gum or eating Mm -hmm. an Alpenly Bay candy. And that's how you get simple joys at very affordable uh, price points. Mm -hmm. However, uh, what is also happening is that as the categories get fragmented, as consumer choices multiply, Mm -hmm. one of the important things for, you know, uh, brands in the impulse category is also to figure out ways in which the brand can play a more meaningful role in the life of the consumer
2: mm-hmm.
3: with, without losing the true essence of simplicity and joy, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't want to lose that, but at the same time, how can you play a more meaningful role? Mm-hmm. And I'll just uh, illustrate this to two examples. Okay. If you take a brand like Center Fruit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all of us have grown up eating Center Fruit uh, chewing gum mm-hmm. and The brand essentially, you know, used to be positioned on. It is so tasty that your tongue can't stop wagging, right? Mm -hmm. So it Mm -hmm. used to be on on that uh, positioning. But as uh, the brand has evolved, one of the things we realize is consumers are also evolving and we need to find ways of them playing a more meaningful role in the life of consumers. Mm -hmm. So the center fruit positioning is now all around mood transformation. Okay. So when you when you're alone, for example, when a kid is studying for his or her exam mm-hmm. and you are in a state of either neutral state or a negative state, you want to just pick yourself up and transform your mood and uplift your mood. You pop in a center fruit and link to the product truth of fruit splash. Mm-hmm. Right? It also sort of gives you a splash and up- uplifts your mood and you know transforms your mood. So you know there is a integrated approach of product truth linking Mm -hmm. up to a higher-order need, which then makes the brand have a more meaningful role in the life of the consumers. So I think that's the way we are trying to see how to stay relevant without losing the core essence of simplicity and joy. And, you know, I'd also like to sort of share one more example, a very different kind of example, but, uh, but again, I think very relevant. If you take a brand like Happy Dent, right? All yeah. of us have grown up seeing the Happy Den Palace ad, which came about 20 years ago.
1: What an iconic ad that was.
3: Absolutely. And which won us a Khan, actually. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. the way Prasoon and team had conceptualized that ad, it was a brilliant ad. Really? And it was all about single-mindedly talking about uh, white teeth, sparkling smile, mm-hmm. right? Now, what we have done is, 20 years later, we have taken that same core thought of sparkling smile, mm-hmm. but we have taken it to the next level. So the new, you know, the happy Den campaign is all about oh, nice. So how can you take the visual iconic of sparkling smile and use that to throw light on social issues,
1: right? Very interesting. So Rajesh, as I hear you say, I mean, this is a phenomenal pivot, but the, yeah. just to play devil's advocate, you know, for the minute here, mm-hmm. if... Is the youth, are we are we taking the fun out of this category and making it slightly more responsible and serious? At least some categories need to be light and bubbly and easy and irreverent. So are you observing that, you know, uh, the, the consumer, that there is a set of uh, consumers, you know, who miss the old uh, fun element in, in these kind of categories?
3: And, you know, Anisha, that's an absolutely valid question. And like I said, the, you know, these categories are all about affordable treats, which make me happy, mm-hmm. right? And we can't, we can't sort of take that away because mm-hmm. that's what consumers uh, buy into. So mm-hmm. even if you see a center fresh, a center fruit communication, for example, uh-huh. uh, I mean, the latest communication had this young boy who has, mm-hmm. who's bored in a tailor shop mm-hmm. and who has uh, customers coming to, you know, get themselves measured for uh, getting their clothes stitched mm-hmm. and he pops in a center fruit and he takes the measurements by doing a salsa. (laughs) Right. Uh So I think, exactly, you know, even as I'm explaining it, it makes you sort of uh, laugh. Uh Uh And if you see the uh, advertising, I'm sure you'll find it funnier. But the point is, we need to do both. And I think that's the delicate balance that brands need to walk, where you are having a larger purpose, a higher order need that you're satisfying, Uh yet not losing that innocence, that simple joys, which are very, very inherent to the category.
1: Absolutely well summarized, Rajesh. I think this is what I was missing when I was hearing you say, I said, see, there are, there are these big heavy duty brands, you know, that carry the onus of some responsibility and therefore they yeah, have yeah. no option, but to, you know, communicate responsibly. But here are some categories that do have the license and the freedom to have some absolutely, fun. But I, I, yeah, but I hear you, you know, I mean, you you are finding ways and means of actually keeping it light and easy.
3: And, 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 you know sorry Anisha, just to build on that point and I think it's super critical to do that because mm-hmm. otherwise you have the danger of starting to preach to consumers and then there is a dissonance with the brand and mm-hmm. you know you start losing like I said the core essence of simple joys, innocence, happiness, then they start getting diluted. So mm-hmm. we are very mindful of that and I think it's an important aspect uh, to keep in mind as we evolve on our communication.
1: So that brings me to my next point about this whole purchase behavior. Okay yeah. now with and covid you know obviously has accentuated that a lot more is your category also seeing a lot of online purchases today because for, for my understanding is that candies and bubble gums are more about impulse buying you know it's almost an irrational behavior with no planned intent you know whereas yeah. online buying is much more planned. It's much more rational. Consumers tend to search for information. They make comparisons before they make final decisions. And that's technically how we understand the online buying behavior. In In such a place, you know, how, how do you evoke impulse?
3: Yeah. You know, you're, you're spot on in your observation. And I think that's a really valid point. And I'll just, you know, spend a minute on um, explaining how COVID impacted the impulse category. So, if you look at it, uh, we are very widely distributed. You know, 7.5 million outlets is the confectionery uh, category distribution. And mm-hmm. we are available in 4.5 million outlets. And yeah. we directly reach about a million outlets on a daily basis. So, mm-hmm. it's a fairly you know staggering numbers. But what happens is, when the pandemic struck and when the lockdowns happened, clearly, everybody is staying indoors. Right? And then, the drop in our sales is pretty sharp. Because and that mm. doesn't happen and therefore our sales drops pretty dramatically. Mm-hmm. Whereas categories which have a larger in-home stocking and consumption still manage to stay afloat because you know consumers are still ordering uh, in uh, the products as well. Mm. Uh, however, the flip side to it is when the bounce back happened,
2: mm-hmm. we
3: were much faster to bounce back because our price points are at the end of the day 1 rupee predominantly. right? Mm. Mm. So
1: a mother doesn't, that. You still
3: find find some that. products at 1 rupee. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you know, a mother wouldn't mind spending that 1 rupee to keep her child happy, irrespective mm-hmm. of COVID or not. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in that sense, I'm, I'm just giving you a context of how the category works. Mm. However, one of the things that COVID taught us was, if I were look at a larger macro snacks category, which includes mm-hmm. biscuits, chocolates, chips, etc. Mm-hmm. A lot of these products have managed to find their way inside the homes for a variety of reasons, you know, mm-hmm. one is the price point, Second is the occasions that they tap into, etc. Mm-hmm. And what we realized was confectionery because of its price points and because of the occasion still evolving,
2: mm-hmm. we were
3: struggling to get in home. So mm-hmm. one of the conscious shifts we did was how do I move my products from impulse anytime, anywhere to more of a planned purchase, therefore planned stocking at home, and therefore consumption at home, Mm -hmm. right? And obviously, the solution for that lies in two areas. One is, do I have the right price pack combination, because Mm -hmm. that's important. Mm -hmm. And the second is, am I tapping into the relevant consumption occasions? So -hmm. that was a two-pronged strategy that we adopted. Obviously, it's a slow burn. It will take its own uh, time. But we are seeing some very, very good results in slowly moving the consumers to start stocking confectionery products at home, and therefore consuming products. Let me give you a simple example. Mm-hmm. If you take a product like Alpen Bay Just Jelly,
2: mm-hmm. it's one of our
3: largest selling brands.
2: Mm-hmm. What
3: we have done is we've got 25% fruit pulp in the product. So it's a bit of a gatekeeper, you know, uh, crossing right. that gatekeeper barrier. Mm-hmm. And we introduce larger pack sizes. So what happens is then automatically the pack at 20 bucks or, you know, 50 bucks start going into the homes of the consumer. Mm. And when the mother wants to give her kid a small treat, Then there is a product which is a tasty product and with 25% fruit pulp, which can be stocked at home, which therefore then plays a role in making a kid happy in the house.
1: So what percentage of your sales today, you know, when you look at your business would be online now? Yeah, I I heard you say it's a slow burn.
3: It is a slow burn. So, I mean, pre-COVID, if you look at it, we were probably at about 0.5%, right? Very tiny numbers. Mm -hmm. But over the last two years, I think we've moved to something like two, two and a half percent in terms of, you know, contribution to overall sales. And I think uh, the important thing to note is because our denominator is so big, the two and a half percent seems small, but on an absolute scale, uh, the numbers are moving at a very nice, uh, positive uh, clip.
1: So Rajesh, besides the top line, uh, do you feel that the margins are much better because you are selling larger packs? and pricing it differently or do you feel that the online uh, you know platforms are equally expensive or as have done with similar margins
3: yeah again great question I think you know when you took, uh, talk about the one rupee products obviously you're severely limited in your pricing right uh, I right. mean I cannot make the one rupee product one rupee 20 pesa tomorrow yeah yeah that right. doesn't work in that sense there are less levers to pull uh, in terms of you know improving margins on the uh, offline products. But when it comes to online, because we have larger pack sizes, there are many more levers that you can play with. Of course, the challenge is also that, um, you know, uh, there are other platforms that we need to support for and so on and so forth. But yes, uh, to your point, I think there are more levers that we can play with in the online channel.
1: This impulse category is more about uh, product placement. It's about shelf placement. It's about the physical stimuli, all of those things that make it an impulse category. So how does that work in the online world?
3: See, I think in online, what is Empire or is, one, to get the salience of the category itself. I mean, even if you think about it for yourself, you would not probably say that, oh, I need to eat chewing gum today and let's go online and buy chewing gum, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. right?
3: So mm-hmm. <clears throat> one of the things we've been trying to do is, how do we create generic, um, you know, keyword searches, which enhance the salience for our brands? So for okay. example, uh, "center fresh" stands mm-hmm. for fresh breath, right? So mm-hmm. even if you were searching for something around fresh or fresh breath etc while things like uh, toothpaste might pop up we also mm-hmm. uh, you know do a, do it in such a way that uh, brands like center fresh pops up also right so i think that's one way to do it
2: mm-hmm.
3: second is to partner with other brands which have a stronger presence in online so then how can we feed off them in a in a synergistic manner mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. the third very important is associating with occasions so, for example, if I were to give you an example, Halloween
2: mm-hmm. is a
3: location which is not tapped by many other categories of brands. True. However, it has a very strong association and relevance to the confectionery and candy space. Mm-hmm. So, what we did uh, in the last couple of years was, we created Halloween packs, which are exclusive packs only for online,
2: mm-hmm. which sell
3: at, like, for example, 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. So, it's a ready-made pack. It looks like a bit of a pumpkin. It's got candies inside it. You know, mothers do need those packs during those times to give to their kids so that they can do their tick or teat and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the, those kind of packs we created. We partnered with uh, people like uh, Grow First, Blink It Now mm-hmm. and Amazon to see how we could create excitement around Halloween so that when the mother is shopping for something during Halloween, these kind of things pop up. So I think it's a combination of having the right price pack, the right visibility, and, uh, you know, tapping into occasions which can really help us to drive the online
2: sales.
1: Rural India, are you seeing any form of traction for the online purchases in, in that part of our country as well? Especially for categories like yours?
3: Yeah, and I, and I think here, you know, the smartphone has a great role to play, right? I mean, we think sometimes you rural and semi-urban areas, nothing much is happening from that perspective. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, we have a very different view because, you know, the kids there and the youth there, are really, you know, tech savvy when it comes to using mobile. Mm -hmm. So what we also do is a lot of uh, stuff we do around use the mobile for, you know, let me give you an example, Chupa Chups Mm -hmm. is a brand which is targeted at Mm teens. So we have this whole thing of, you know, uh, a QR code on the pack. So you just scan the QR code, you can start playing some games. And then we have tied up with Amazon where you can win gifts and vouchers from them, which is again coming on your phone right so the okay. entire chain end to end can actually happen on through your phone and the way we also make sure that the product is integrated is the games that you have are like snakes mm-hmm. which, for example one of our products is a belt shaped product right the belt is the snake and then you you know you play a game and you win so the product and the brand is also very very tightly integrated with the game okay. like bites is a game uh, i mean sorry bites is a product We have a treasure hunt game where the bites, uh, you have to find the bites and you can win some Mm
2: -hmm.
3: points and so on and so forth. Mm
2: -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm.
3: rural, to your point, it doesn't matter rural or urban. I think the mobile phone uh, has really unlocked a lot of um, opportunities. And I think it's really about how we leverage technology in a very engaging manner, which Mm -hmm. will allow us to unlock that opportunity. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, that brings me to today when you talk to kids and you talk about candies, they'll say Candy Crush. See, it's all about just moving them into this whole virtual, surreal world where I started. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so how do you change the narrative for, for these kind of children?
3: See, end of the day, uh, you know, as you know also, as a brand, we have to be where the consumer is. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. today, uh, unfortunately, the number of kids probably playing gully cricket and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, coming out and doing those outdoor activities to have come down to an extent. Mm -hmm. And they have got into stuff like gaming. And, you know, if you look at the numbers on gaming, they're staggering. Mm -hmm. And in a way, a bit uh, sad also, right? Like kids are spending about seven to eight hours in a week gaming in the pandemic world. Okay, we have to be responsible as a brand. But Mm -hmm. what we then do is, you know, can we allow them to play games Also learn something in the process, right? Mm -hmm. So we we also, you know, create games which have a little bit of a learning associated with it, whether it is in Mm -hmm. terms of, uh, you know, learning something new or Mm -hmm. dexterity or whatever, but Mm -hmm. ensuring that the the fun is still not taken out of it. They are still, uh, you know, learning something yet we are being where they are spending their time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the key thing to keep in mind.
1: Look, Ajish, it, the, you know it's been a very, very engaging and interesting conversations because as I heard you, I realized that you, all have, you have pivoted the category and changed the narrative at several levels to stay relevant. Technology is here to stay. Digitization is here to stay. Consumers are evolving. Children are evolving. And how do you make... Businesses which are simple businesses like yours, traditional businesses, in many ways, stay relevant. Right from you know the the proposition to making it a higher order uh, proposition, you know, in line with how the youth today or the or the young children today are behaving, to changing price points, products, you know, making it you know more relevant in terms of an online purchase, moving it from impromptu to planned for that medium. To you know, integrating and doing you know stuff end to end, um, this has been this has truly been an eye opener for me because we, when we look back, we wonder you know how it's okay when you are in bigger categories like cars and durables and 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 categories like those they are actually meant for the online world for the for the new mm-hmm. world, but. Yeah. Simple categories like these, they really need to change. And I think what you've done is remarkable. So thank you. This has been really an interesting conversation.
3: Thank you very much, Anisha. Thank you for having me on this. And it was a absolute pleasure.
1: So Nadan, what did you take away from everything Radhesh said?
0: Anisha, I actually want to go back to something our guest expert in the last episode of Storm the Norm touched upon.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: remember in that episode, Jonathan Karas, the crypto expert I referred to earlier. He came from this perspective. that one of the main reasons the realm of blockchain and crypto and Web3 have felt a little obscure and complex to most people is because they've been too technical and even boring for most people. Mm-hmm. He believed that making it entertaining, making it fun, is critical to making it mainstream. And to mm-hmm. me, what Rajesh said, in fact, doesn't just storm today's norm. I think it inverted it brilliantly. Tell me how. I would say Uh, Well, it's easy to uh, spot it now after having heard him. I would say it's not just that there's room for chewing gum bubbles in a world that's all about the Web3 bubble, but that the Web3 bubble could learn a lot from the world of chewing bubbles, starting with not taking itself so seriously. Uh, Purpose and planning and pivots are great and are needed, don't get me wrong. But ultimately, we need to remember that more often than not, as people, we seek fun. And not just meaning with a capital M all the time. Meaning is great. We want fun also. And in a world that's gone crazy on so many dimensions, we need chewing gum bubbles at least as much, if not more than the Web3 bubble, so that there is the right mix of fun and purpose. But what about you, Anisha? How would you storm this norm? What hacks do you have for our audience?
1: know yeah, even before I come to the hacks, you know the point that you made, uh, I remember uh, you know Rajesh has touched upon this brilliantly and given uh, examples of how uh, even though his brand moved from you know uh, fun to, to purposeful fun, uh, little little nuances that he introduced uh, in the brand communication made sure that it is not ju- he is not compromising on fun and entertainment in any way and making the category serious and boring.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, in that context, I'm really looking forward to the hacks that you have.
1: So there's so much to be said on storming this norm at a broad level, Narayan, but I'm going to focus it on on a very specific part. How can an impulse category pivot to succeed in a D2C world where the rule of commerce, culture, and communications may be very different? Selling inexpensive, low-ticket impulse purchase items profitably online requires a disciplined approach to the entire business. When you sell a high-priced product, you have the ability to absorb many costs and you can still be profitable because of your higher margins.
0: Indeed, Anisha. This is the biggest challenge facing various categories like candies, sweets and others that depend on a huge distribution footprint of small retailers. I mean, these products just don't have the same margin for error.
1: But does that mean e-commerce or online retail are not suitable for low-value products? Should they stay away from this channel? Or are there ways to manage the costs and leverage the large buying pool of diverse customer sets to generate high profits through volumes? And here are my five hacks to unlock the potential of this e-commerce online retail for such categories. I'm all yours. The first hack is all about moving the purchase from an impulse action to a step action. Mm. So how create a conscious plan to shift the purchase from low ticket, low value impulse purchase to conscious planned event-based incidents. Hmm. And this requires a big mindset shift and a dual strategy. Hmm. One for physical retail and the other for e-commerce. It starts with re-looking at your product and pack size. And then of course, pricing and supply chain logistics. It's a different ballgame altogether. And that's why I mentioned mindset shift as the first barrier to overcome. Many teams in traditional businesses do not have the DNA to straddle both and see this channel as an adjunct, good to have a presence, but not of significant strategic relevance to carve out a separate holistic strategy. This is actually one of the best mediums available for such low-value, low-ticket categories to broaden the customer base with some exciting and creative interventions. We know digital as a medium allows you a lot of creativity and interactions with the customers. Mm -hmm. And and if you see this strategically, and if you have the right product and a pack size priced appropriately, then this game is possible. And everything else then just follows.
0: You know, there's so much to unpack in this one. It's such an insightful hack, Anisha. Uh, brands are making the same mistake here as they did with digital in the initial days, treating it as an afterthought in the beginning and then scrambling to somehow fit it into their overall strategy. I mean, it takes clear thinking and action to recognize that e-commerce can be treated as needing a distinctive focus, not just dovetailed with everything else, but a distinctive focus across all aspects of the business. This is this is great. Um, What's your second hack?
1: The second hack is about moving the brand from a transaction-only brand to a purposeful brand. Mm-hmm. See, as it is, these categories are about transactions. You know, you don't have change, mm-hmm. you can take a candy. Um, you know, you're standing at the counter, you know, Buying something uh, for the household, and if there's a kid with you, uh, you know he would insist, and you would say, "Okay, you know, uh, give him a give him a candy or give him a bubble uh, and stuff like that." So as it is, this is a transactional category, and the online world has become even more so about transactional products, which are about short-term game of immediate purchases and cash flows than the long-term game of bra- of building name recognition and acquiring long-term customers. Okay, The tricky part about transactional action is that you may get a sale, but that doesn't mean you'll get repeat customers. And continually chasing new customers is more expensive than doing business with the turn customers. That's where branding and brand building comes in. Hmm. Branding induces customers to buy things without wasting time and effort on deliberative thinking. See, in the online world, if you have to induce an impulse action, then the first barrier to cross is the brand barrier and if you know that this is a brand that is actually top of mind for you then you move you, you actually move to the next step of purchasing it and remember the first hack if this is a planned purchase then mm. brand has to play even a bigger role than than you know in a transactional category or an impulse category how do you make customers buy now and feel later Because the trust in the brand will help you skip this whole deliberation step.
0: I love that phrase, Anisha. Buy now, feel later. Move over BNPL. Buy now, (laughs) pay later. I think that's not true. It's not your day-to-day. Here comes BNFL.
1: The thing is, when building your brand over time, you will eventually have a customer base that won't need transactional messages to woo them towards your products or services. Because of branding, these repeat customers already interact with and perhaps even love your company without extra incentives. This means that in the long term, you'll likely work and spend less on transactional advertising as your businesses and bottom lines grow.
0: Absolutely, Anisha. The BNFL is such a powerful outcome that only brand building, not transactional interactions, only brand building can enable. So what's your third hack now?
1: It's, it's linked to that. You know, it's linked to this whole skipping the deliberation step, BNFL mm. syndrome that we spoke about. Create a shopping momentum in your purchase journey. Increase the average order value. So the shopping momentum effect is about how making an initial purchase creates a psychological impulse to make additional purchase by inducing a kind of an implemental mindset, you know, mm. you're, you're ready to implement. Mm. And this is a very critical step to making online sales profitable and managing the margin pressure. There are various ways in which this can be done. But for that, the first critical step is to be strategic with cross selling and upselling and not mm. tactical in your approach.
2: Mm. So
1: if you plan a good share of wallet strategy, focuses on making the purchase more attractive by bundling it with add-ons, combo packs, incentives, gifts, event-based, celebration events, loyalty points to foster deeper engagement with customers. And like I said in in my earlier hacks, engagement and creativity comes very naturally to this medium.
2: Mm.
1: You You can integrate your products into several interactive Activities where the customer is directly mm. involved, something that you can never do at a mom and pop retail store where it will mm. always remain a transaction. You know, you buy, mm. you pay, you move on. But here there is so much that is more that's possible. And this has the probability to trigger an unplanned purchase, increasing the probability of making subsequent unplanned purchases.
0: No, I can I can absolutely see how social influence of cues that leverage the behavior of other users can also encourage impulsive purchases.
1: True, Narayan. When you sell low-cost items, another way to boost profitability is to sell more of them to each customer. You know, that's what I meant by cross-sell-ups. Mm. For mm. instance, if you sell a cute you know, uh, pink nail polish, you could also offer the companion... Um, you know, uh, a blue one, um, you know, for a for, for friend or something or a nail clipper that can go, you know, along with it. Offering a buy two, get one free special is another way to boost profit. And there are many such events that activities that you can you can think of selling related accessory products, complementary products uh, is is another way to to bundle this and make the purchase order. Not just increase the order value, but also increase the stickiness with the customer.
0: I think about how every time you go to a coffee shop, the person at the counter will always subtly try to upsell or cross-sell to you—you you know, either a bigger-sized drink or something to eat along with your drink—and it's a very uh, shot in the dark kind of thing, you know, just ask every customer who comes along kind of thing. But e-commerce makes this even simpler with the use of data analytics and even more effective. The now old trick of Customers Uh who bought this also bought XYZ is now so prevalent in e-commerce, right? And at its core, core, this is all about creating psychological impulses that you spoke about.
1: And it creates a kind of shopping momentum.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. All right, then three down, two more hacks to go. What's next?
1: I think this is hygiene, but purchasing at low cost and managing transaction costs this world is now famous for unit economics, but it becomes even more relevant in, in products which have got lower margins. Even if you looked at a larger pack size, a bundled pack size, you still are working on, uh, with, uh, with you know, limited margins in this category. Managing your cost of goods sold is key in low-cost items. So choosing to buy in larger lots you know, helps you to amortize additional charges such as transaction or shipping charges or even manage a larger or negotiate a larger discount. Seemingly small transaction costs can take a large chunk of your profit. For instance, a 30 paise swipe fee on a 10 Rupees equal to 3% of your total revenue. And transaction costs that are based on percentage of your sales instead of a flat fee may be more advantageous. So always remember that, you know, I mean, if you have to negotiate transaction costs and you are a low margin product, make sure it's a percentage and not a flat uh, mm-hmm. you know, rate, rate because then the denominator effect starts coming in. If you do mm-hmm. enough volumes, of flat rate transaction processor may even save you more uh, in the long run.
0: I love this one, Anisha, simply because it shows that value creation can happen not just with changes at end-consumer levels, but at the site of the manufacturer-distributor interface. And with e-commerce, the opportunity to scale this is much simpler and greater. And so what's your final hack now?
1: So how do you reduce the customer acquisition costs? It seems like a no-brainer, but profitably selling small items also requires a strategy that lowers your customer acquisition cost. Paying per click for search engine advertising probably won't be profitable if you sell low-ticket items. Using social networking tools and doing your own search engine optimization can help drive customers at a low cost. Another strategy is to use your existing customers to drive businesses through through promotions or even an affiliate program. One of the things that we don't do well is this is a data-driven world. You have the access to your customers' data. And if we do not leverage our existing customers to drive business and use them like our own brand ambassadors to build a brand, then it's a, very, it's a lost opportunity. Uh, we are constantly chasing new customers, cold customers, and not paying enough to existing customers and how we can use them strategically. While these may involve discounting or paying referral fees, if the cost mm-hmm. is less than paying for advertising, you will come out ahead.
0: All right. That's a, that's a lot to observe, Asia, but also a lot of fantastic business insights in one place. I mean, from shopping momentum to buy enough uh, feel later to you know step action instead of just passive action, moving beyond transactions to purposeful brands and reducing customer acquisition costs. There's so much to observe. It all is, when you think about it, it's intuitive. But if only everybody would uh, take them to execution. Uh, so I think it's, it's it's a lot of very, very practical, usable, insightful hacks in one place here.
1: Thank you, Nadan.
0: All right. So A thought-provoking norm, a seasoned expert, and some great levers to Storm the Norm. There definitely is room for chewing a bubbles <laughs> in the world as a Web3
2: bubble.
1: <laughs> and equivalent. Indeed, Narayan. This is a good place to wrap up episode 28 of Storm the Norm. As always, there are multiple places you can catch us on. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and GeoSavan by just searching for Storm the Norm and on Saregama Caravan 2.0 devices on channel 453.
0: This is Narayan. And Anisha. Signing off for now. We'll be back with a new episode shortly. Thank you and talk to you soon.